Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. Pete Callender here. Final hour of the program. Remember, you can get it on the podcast. Go to WBT.com, and then you just subscribe. It's free. You just click the button. There are a whole bunch of different platforms. If you want to listen on whatever you want, it could be iTunes, it could be Stitcher or Deezer or whatever. There's all these platforms, whichever one is fine by me. Uh, and then you get the show every single day delivered right to your smart device. Uh, the phone numbers, if you would like to join the discussion, are 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. The email is Pete at thepetecallendershow.com and on Twitter at Pete Callender. All right, so do you guys remember, uh, I mean, it's been a while, but do you remember when the co-chairs of the Charlotte City Council's Intergovernmental Relations Committee, Braxton Winston and Tark Bokhari, do you guys remember when they were insinuating that the mayor was trying to sabotage their efforts at consolidation? It's, it was like Monday. Okay. At the core of that story, and I spent a lot of time on this on Tuesday's show because they were talking about it at Monday's meeting. And so yesterday, I covered it pretty in-depth. You're welcome. And so last night, or yesterday afternoon, sorry, yesterday afternoon, County Commission Chairman George Dunlap responded because at the core of this disagreement, shall we say, is the belief among Braxton Winston, Democrat, Tark Bakari, Republican, uh, that they're the co-chairs of this committee that's looking at consolidating services or functions or whatever between Charlotte, Mecklen- Charlotte and Mecklenburg, some other areas where there could be some efficiencies. And so they believe that somebody has been having discussions with the county chairman, George Dunlap, and conveyed to him inaccurate information, prompting him to write a letter representing the belief on the board of county commissioners that they have no desire to do anything about consolidation, which he has not taken a vote on that. He's not asked for maybe he made phone calls to everybody to get their sense of things. He personally doesn't want to have consolidation. Seems like I don't know who else is on board with that, but he apparently wrote a letter then sent it to an incorrect email address, so none of the council got it. It's just been a mess. And so Bakari and Winston, they allege that probably the mayor, by Lyles, was having these sort of back-channel discussions with Dunlap. And she conveyed to him information that came from city staff that was rejected by the committee, but she gave it off to him and he believed that to be true. That was their insi- – well, here, I think I actually still have – do I still have the soundbite? Uh, yes. Oh, I do. Look at that. This is cut number three. What happened next? We got an email from the chair of the county commission saying it was a bad idea, which was very odd since Braxton and I had been working uh, with two of the county commissioners and their IRC staffer, as well as the same for the school board. Then, magically, our committee-approved language uh, for council vote tonight disappeared from the agenda, and a new summary was provided that was watered down and and said we just keep working on it and update the mayor and council. Not only was what we decided on completely changed in the agenda, the commission chairman's email was included as the second attachment to tee up our conversation tonight. Is that a coincidence? I'll ask my council colleagues this. Who has the power to do these kinds of things behind the scenes? 
Does it remind you of any of the other things we've been going through over the last year? And here's how I'd answer my own question. The mayor has the power to do those kinds of things, and it sure feels a lot like the mayor's racial equity initiative happening yet again. End of report. There you go. That was the uh, there was the accusation. So here's Dunlap's response from the county commission meeting yesterday. He started the meeting off and then took a point of personal privilege to discuss. Before we get into our meeting, I wanted to take a moment to share with you um, about something that some of you may or may not have heard. Typically, I would send you an email telling you something's going on. Um, I did not have time to do that, but I did want to mention to you that uh, there was some discussion at city council meeting last night um, about a letter that I sent to the manager and to the mayor. And so I wanted to tell you uh, how that came about and what it was about. Um, Apparently, uh, city council members were having a discussion about consolidation. Um, And we had staff people in their meeting. Now, I found it interesting that they accused the mayor of having a conversation with me and some kind of backdoor deal or back channel conversations, but I haven't spoken to the mayor about this. This information was public, it was in their meeting, and the information came to me that they were discussing consolidation. And of course, that would raise my concern because this board has never had a conversation about consolidation. All right, so real quick there, what does it sound like he said? He said he he flat out denied that he's had a conversation with the mayor about it, so I guess she's off the hook now. But he mentioned, and so did Bakari, mentioned that there was a staffer in there. And there were two county commissioners that have had informal conversations with them. So who do you think brought it to Chairman Dunlap? The incorrect information. Who do you think brought it to him? I'm putting money on the staffer. I got to believe that. Seriously, like, I, otherwise... It's one of the elected officials, one of the county commissioners. And maybe it was. But it seems like Vilyles cleared by Dunlap's testimony. And we would not have a conversation about consolidation without at least talking to our six towns. So I was incensed at the fact that there was this conversation going on about consolidation. And so subsequent to that, I did have a conversation with uh, uh, Councilmember Braxton Winston, who is the co-chair of the consolidation meeting. Uh, And I thought we had a very good conversation. I made it clear to him that we don't have anything to do with the city's process. Uh, However, there is a different process before something like that comes before our committee. It comes first through the Intergovernmental Relations Committee and then a recommendation to this body so that we can put it on our agenda, and then we'll have the discussion. I did have conversation with our intergovernmental uh, committee chairperson who indicated to me that he had had casual conversation with uh, these city council members, but nothing formal, nothing to the point that it would even get to the level of being a part of their committee meeting. So I wanted to clarify that in case you, you, you heard that so that everybody will know what took place. All right. With that being said, we'll move uh, directly into our agenda. Uh, All right. So that's the statement from the county chairman. We'll see if the city council is able to uh, proceed with this heavy lift towards consolidation. That's Coldplay. 
That's every one of their songs, too, right there. Oh, I kid Coldplay. They do sound the same. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. By the way, 30 days from today, you know what it is? A month from today. We are one month away from WBT's 100th anniversary celebration presented by the Center for TMJ and Sleep Apnea. It is on Saturday, April 9th at Holton Theater at CPCC. And uh, if you want to come on down, hang out with all of the WBT folks, all of the alumni, the largest group of BT alum ever assembled in one place. We're going to see what happens when you put that many radio people together if there's some sort of critical mass thing that happens. We're all going to find out together. Come be part of the experiment. We're also going to induct three new members into the Hall of Fame, John Stokes, Jim Zoki, and Bob Lacey. So it's going to be a great time. Hope you can come on down, get uh, the details and tickets at WBT.com. Uh, one last point on the Charlotte City Council. Uh, yeah, on City Council before I move off to uh, County Commission. Joe Bruno from WSOC9 uh, on Twitter, citing NC Tribune. He says, lawmakers are considering making the second primary, no matter, so that would be a runoff. They call it the second primary in state statute. Second primary, uh, July 26th. Charlotte's municipal elections will take place whenever the second primary is this summer. So as of now, there is no federal race needing a second primary. The election would be July 5th. Due to the condensed schedule, thank you all of the lawsuit people, Charlotte municipal races are not eligible for a second primary. Charlotte and Sanford partisan primaries are plurality. Charlotte has occasionally needed a second primary uh, so, yeah, this is we're, we're going to have a July election for council. This is nuts. Kind of nuts. All right. Let me get over to the uh, the sheriff's presentation yesterday. I watched it so you didn't have to. You're welcome. Um, Mecklenburg County Sheriff Gary McFadden. Uh, I don't know, you know, being out of uh, the Charlotte area for. Eight years, although I will say, like, I was still technically a legal resident of Mecklenburg while I was working in Asheville for about, uh, well, probably about three or four years of the nine. So um, I still had to go through and get my, you know, my uh, concealed carry permit from Mecklenburg County, and I was still voting in Mecklenburg County, uh, but I wasn't really paying attention to uh, Sheriff McFadden's rise. And his, and his background and that sort of thing. I do notice that he is of a mold, though, that the Buncombe County Sheriff also shared, which was African-American, Democrat, former law enforcement, or current law enforcement. They're both like city cops. The guy out in Buncombe County was an Asheville police officer. Same sort of deal. Okay. So McFadden has gotten a lot of heat because of, most recently, because of this inspection that came about North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services inspects the jail. Sorry. Oh, sorry. They don't call them jails. I, I did not know this either. What me being out of town for so long. I did not know you guys renamed the jail. They're now just detention facilities or detention center. You don't call them jails because they're totally different. Obviously jail is not a detention center and a detention center is not a jail. Obviously. And if I have to explain it, well, then I think it means you're racist. 
Okay, so Mecklenburg County Sheriff Gary McFadden filled county commissioners in on how he plans to make the jail safer during a Tuesday afternoon board meeting. Fox 46's Emma Withrow writes, at, uh, well, yeah, fox46.com, Queen City. When did they get the Queen City? Are they going to make the migration over there to queencitynews.com or qcnews.com something? Fox46.com, Queen City News. Um, they got to send this plan now over to state officials by March 11th. So he gave the update to the county commissioners. And he pointed out the rumor uh, that we are closing or they're forcing us to close. That is not going to happen under my watch, which honestly, I was not aware that rumor existed, that they were just going to close down the jail because that's insane. But uh, apparently the rumor was out there, so he felt like he needed to just quash that. So he did that. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. So Mecklenburg County Sheriff Gary McFadden filled the county commissioners in yesterday about uh, the report on how he's going to, the inspection report that the state came in, dinged him on a bunch of stuff and said, you got to fix it. And so uh, he rolled out his plan. I'm not going to go through all of the plan uh, as to, you know, what it specifically uh, if you want to, you can go to their county website. You can pull the PowerPoints and you can look at it all. Um, he said uh, that it, they're not shutting the jail down. There's this rumor out there that they're going to shut down the jail. That is not happening, he said, uh, because that's crazy. Um, Queen City News, Emma Withrow's report. This comes after a state inspection report revealed crowded and understaffed facilities, which led to unsafe conditions for both staff and inmates, but McFadden and his staff say they have a plan to fix all of that. The plan of action is to bolster recruitment and retention efforts because that where they got dinged, he said, is that the staff is overworked and they didn't have enough employees during the pandemic. And that's why they weren't able to pass all of the inspection points. And what he said it was really all about was was not going around. So when you walk around and you make the rounds, you got to press a button, he says. Now, I don't know if it's a button or if it's a key fob or something, but this is a system that's been in place. I mean, Downton Abbey used the same sort of thing. You would walk around. If you ever do a tour of the Biltmore Estate, you, you, when you make the rounds and there's like these little buttons and you would hit the button. So this way everybody knew or these little key things or whatever. And, every, and this way you knew you made all the rounds and then they knew that you were on patrol and you weren't just off in the shed sleeping someplace, right? So that's what these guards were supposed to be doing, but they they weren't hitting all the buttons, and that's what they got in trouble for. That's what McFadden said. He also insinuated that there was someone or someones with a specific motive that ordered the inspection be done. The inspection is nothing new. We have a biannual inspection. The only problem with this inspection is, and I said this to the person who took the inspection, that, so let me get the understanding You are in a deer stand hunting deer, and you were told to go to Charlotte and inspect that jail now. So stop whatever you're doing and go to Charlotte and inspect that jail now because I'm requiring you to do that. So that is the onset of how this all began, that somebody was told to go to Charlotte now 
and do what I ask you to do because if somebody else asked them to create this inspection that was done, and so the inspection was done only because someone asked the state to look at these certain dates, not a complete general inspection, I'm going to give you four or five dates to look at, and these are the dates that I want you to look at, and these are the dates that I want you to criticize. Not the whole inspection, these are the dates that I want you to criticize and look at. So someone from my staff provide them dates and times to say, look at these deficiencies and make that report out of that. All right, so McFadden then hinted somebody ordered the inspection. For some reason, he did it again. And here's what I dared, I wanted to ask the, the inspector. Have you treated any other detention center like you have Mecklenburg County? I told him personally, I want you to live with that in your heart because we know where it came from because you didn't come to do a general inspection. You come with particular days to ask us about, and that's what this report is. Simply making rounds and touching a button simply rounds and, take, and touching the button. And that's what we go, and that is our deficiencies. Because my staff may have been tired, a lot of stuff is going around, and we simply didn't touch a wall button. Those are the deficiencies we have inside the Mecklenburg County Detention Center. All righty, so who is the someone who told the other someone to go do the inspection? McFadden doesn't say. McFadden won't say, but it came from the state. And what he said there initially was that some guy got called out of a deer stand, so I guess he was like on vacation or he was on a day off. He's out hunting and gets a call from the boss, says you got to go down to Mecklenburg County. And this is what the inspector told McFadden when he got there. Like, yeah, they called me out of a deer stand to come down and do this. Who's the one who made the order at DHHS, which is run by Governor Cooper? Who made the call to order it to be done? And at whose request? Let me go over here to George. Hello, George. Welcome to the program. How are you? Good, sir. How are you? I am well. What's up? Um, just uh, a lot of the the officers that are working over because a lot of officers have quit because of the violence yeah. and the assaults that have went on in the jail. Um, the Federal Police filed a paper, 14-page, paper of all the assaults that had um, happened in the jail itself, and that basically nobody knew about these because it was being kind of pushed under the rug. And and you so think it, that's what prompted the inspection? I think so, because, um, like I said, a lot, of, a lot of officers are leaving, and yes. the, the, you know, the re, they're called residents, they're not called, you know, inmates. Right. And that, that makes them uh, less likely to smear feces on the guards, I think. <laughs> right? If you call them residents, then they feel like, oh, look, at we're equals here. Just uh, uh, don't, do you mind if I smear this poop on your uniform or whatever? Do you mind if I try to shank you? You know, whatever. I think that's what makes yeah. it all uh, different. Just the, the nomenclature. Yeah. Well, I guess that's their home. Right. Well, he look, McFadden <laughs> said, now, I, there's one thing here that... I do sympathize with every sheriff that operates a jail in that they are largely at the mercy of another agency. And in this case, it's the courts, right? And the district attorney. Um, If they're not moving cases through their system, that puts all the pressure on the sheriff's office operating the jail. And so you got that pressure. Then you also have 
the social justice warrior Black Lives Matter folks, they're applying pressure to turn people loose, to cut people out of jail, saying that you can't incarcerate anybody pre-trial if they're, you know, nonviolent or a whole list of other offenses and stuff. And that's what the prison or the jail has actually been doing now for the last, I think, what, two or three years. They've been they've been embarking on this course, turning more people. They have a lower jail population now than they did in 08 when they when, when they were talking about building a new jail. They, yeah, they, yeah, there are a lot of people not incarcerated right now. That's correct. The yeah. magistrates are, uh, do not hold people to higher bonds, and they let them unsecure bonds right. so they come out and come to court. Yeah. George, I appreciate the call, sir. Thanks so much. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Sheriff Gary McFadden appearing at the county commission meeting yesterday going over this uh, response to the inspection report that the state DHHS, Health and Human Services, that does inspections of jails, they did this inspection. They dinged them for not making the rounds and pressing the button. So, in other words, they were overworked, short-staffed, working overtime hours like crazy because of the short-staffing and because of COVID and the like. And all of a sudden, this DHHS inspector guy shows up and he's like, uh, I got some dates here. I want to see them. Let me see the footage and do an assessment. Um, McFadden said a couple different times that somebody called somebody to send that inspector in to target Mecklenburg County. He never names who it is. It's a similar insinuation that Chairman George Dunlap made later on in the meeting. Take a listen. I want to thank you for your candor. I want to thank you for being accessible. I want to thank you for being available. I want to thank you for being responsive. Now, people don't know that the sheriff and I talk on a regular basis. Um, and um, it's, it's about, as he suggested, offering support when... The hellhounds are on your track. My pastor once told me, he said, I don't need you when I'm right. <laughs> I need you when I'm wrong. And so in this situation, our sheriff's department is facing uh, criticism. Uh, and I could tell you more about this than I really want to get into about how this whole inspection thing came about because of a report from somebody. And this has a lot to do with the politics that we see in our community today with these people challenging the sheriff. But be that as it may, I thank you. Who is he talking about? Somebody prompted this report and it mirrors what we're seeing, the politics that we're seeing in the community today. Who Who's he talking about? You, you, you want to guess? I got to guess it's not the Republicans. You think Republicans would have some juice with the DHHS inspector team to come inspect the Democrat sheriff's jail? No. No, who's got juice to do that? Those are the activists. Those are the Black Lives Matter, social justice crowd, the Antifa adjacent folks. These are leftists, the radicals, anarchists, right? These are the people who are like, open up the jails 
no incarceration for anybody, let everybody go. And McFadden has fought with them on a couple of occasions. So that's how they attempted to get back at him, right? That's obvious to me. But note the way they are both kind of tap dancing around naming who their adversaries are. I mean, think about that. McFadden, the sheriff, top law enforcement of the oldest elected position in America is the sheriff, okay? The, that is the oldest elected position. And by the way, it's not the sheriff's department. It's the sheriff's office. The sheriff's office. is a, It is an elected office. So the sheriff is there, top law enforcement officer of Mecklenburg County, and he is up there, and he won't even identify who is coming after them and, according to the slideshow, um, disparagement of the profession is one of the reasons why the profession is experiencing problems keeping and hiring staff. There's a list of them. Increased attacks on detention officers, low morale, high stress, burnout, unclear expectations of job duties, high turnover staffing rates, disparagement of the profession, increased public scrutiny and accountability. So these are all the types of issues that are harming their ability to stay fully staffed. And a lot of that stuff is getting driven by a particular crowd of people, particularly locally. And McFadden won't even name them. And Dunlap won't even name them. Why won't you name them? If you know who they are, why don't you tell us that? In fact, at the presentation yesterday, McFadden gets up and says, we need cheerleaders, not crickets or critics. He's asking when they're like, oh, please, what can we do to support you? And he says, to support us. Like, we're asking you to support us publicly. That's what prompted Dunlap to talk about, well, the hellhounds are on your track. Like, that's when you need people to stand up and defend you and to help you in that time of crisis. And by the way, like, that's exactly correct. But you know who's been doing that? And you know who doesn't care that this group has been doing it? Republicans. Yeah, Republicans have been coming to the defense of law enforcement against these attacks. And they get nary a mention. And you guys won't even name these people that are doing the attacks. You have some pretty good idea of what's going on. It mirrors the politics in the community, but we're not going to say anything more. Why wouldn't you say anything more about that? Is it because it might harm your electoral prospects? That's what I said the other day. This is a whole leadership problem. You people are supposed to be working for the people of the county. That's who your employer is. That's who writes your paycheck. And so you need to be upfront to tell the people, this is why we're being targeted. This is who is targeting us. This is because if they're able to call in the state to do inspections on your facility based only on politics and you did nothing wrong, I think we should know that. And I would look if. If they're using the apparatus of the state government in order to target you, I'm going to stand with you against that because I don't want to. I don't want to see anybody being able to weaponize the state like that. Why wouldn't you help us help you? You said you need the help. All right, let me go over here. Rob, welcome to the program. Hello, Rob. 
Hey, thanks a lot for having me on. I yes, know sir. i got to be quick. So what am I supposed to take from all of this that if you're an elected official in Mecklenburg County, you're impervious to any type of criticism from the taxpaying public? Is that what I take from this? Also, number two, uh, for uh, public uh, scrutiny, yes, I'm an American who happens to be black, number one. Yes, I am a Republican, uh, number two. There's a lot of racial uh, undertones associated with this entire problem. you got a lot of black folk in positions of authority. They're not doing their job. They're incompetent, it appears. On the surface, they're incompetent. The majority of the, of the prisoners that, you know, in the jail are black. Let's talk about the truths, unpleasant truths associated with this entire issue. The majority, overwhelming people in the jail are black. Mm-hmm. Okay, and also the overwhelming majority of guards are black. So, you know, let's talk about some truths here that are not being spoken, you know, to the issue. And, I mean, that's what frustrates me as a taxpayer, okay, that, you know, people don't want to talk about the truths. And there's a lot of racial undertones associated with this. And I'm not saying that that's the entire issue. I'm not, you know, I'm not implying No, I understand. But it's a a significant part of it. Yeah, I agree. I appreciate the call, Rob. I got to run. You were correct. I was up against the clock, but... I look forward to uh, engaging with you at a we can pick this up tomorrow if you're going to if you want to call back in we can discuss later. Uh right now Brett Winterbull is coming up. Stay tuned for that. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while Oh, I won't. I'm back on Friday. I'll see you then. Don't break anything while I'm gone.